Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, this is week three in a message series called Fish Tales, and we've been talking together about the story of the prophet Jonah. Now, Jonah's story, as prophets go, is unique. Because any other time in the Bible we hear from a prophet, if we turn to the prophet Isaiah or the prophet Jeremiah or the prophet Ezekiel or such, there's lots of them, uh, what we hear is God said to the prophet, go and say this. And the whole book, really, the writing is about what God says through the prophet. It's the the message given to the people. That's typically what we study if we're going to look at those things. Jonah's narrative is radically different in that This book isn't about what God says through Jonah. It's really about what God says to Jonah and about what happens in his life. And what we get very quickly rising up out of the text is this. God's love and forgiveness is for everybody. God's love and forgiveness is for everybody. It's for people in a wicked city who, who, who don't really know any better. It's for people who should have known better and didn't. It's for people who did know better and still sinned. God's love and forgiveness is for everybody. And what we observe here, uh, pretty quick, God, you know, as God delivers this message to Jonah, he he gives a message to the city and to Jonah, hey, listen, repentance is needed. You guys have to start living differently. You have to start altering your course. And what that means for you and me is very simple. Repentance is when you and I decide, you know what, I need to start living differently. I need to do something different. Repentance is like a big, scary church word, and there's really nothing scary about it. It's actually very simple. Here's what repentance looks like. This is, this is repentance. Are you ready? You know, I should probably stop doing that. I need to quit doing that. I'm stopping now. That's repentance. That's what repentance... It means to make a change, to turn. The Hebrew word means to turn, to alter course. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop doing this. Uh, I'm going to make a change. I know it's been a while. There's something in my life I've been doing that i got to quit doing, or there's something in my life I haven't been doing that i got to start doing, whatever the case may be for you. You make a change. You alter course. You decide, I'm going to, to go in a slightly, usually, different direction. It could be a radically different direction, but usually repentance comes in small steps. And we've all kind of been there. We've all had moments when God has nudged us on something. We turn course. But then something else happens, right? Let's just walk through, walk through it with me for a minute, particularly if you're a believer. If, you're not, if you wouldn't self-identify as a Christ follower today, uh, these words might not be particularly for you, but I think you'll follow me anyway. Sometimes you come under a little conviction. You feel like God's calling you to do something. You, make a, you say, yeah, I'm going to do that. Oh, man, I've, I've been needing to do this for a while. You make a change, and you feel great about it. And God forgives us of our sins. Our guilt is lifted up off of us, placed onto the shoulders of Jesus Christ. We go free of it, and we feel great, and, and we make a change. But then, like a week later, we reverse ourselves and go back to our old ways. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever had that happen to them? Oh, no one, Really? Yeah, 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 I don't think so. I think we've all been there. We've all had moments where, like, we, we, we turn, you know, and, and this is where people get convicted. Now people get really convicted because they go, oh, man, I, I, I knew better. I mean, I'm already a believer. I've already put my faith in Jesus, and I'm a Christian, and I knew I shouldn't have done it, and I, God already forgave me for that, and, and God's already forgiven me that for that like, for like a dozen times, and I keep going back. 
sometimes people call that a besetting sin, something that just keeps visiting your life that you keep going back to and you repent and you mean it every time, but now you're starting to wonder if God can even forgive you. That's where we find Jonah. That's where we find Jonah. He's vacillating. He's back and forth. He's trying to obey God, but it's not really working. His heart isn't in it. So here's what we, and, and by the way, just because just I can't, I can't, can't not pause and, and deliver this. There's just no limit to God's mercy and forgiveness. There's no limit to it. It doesn't matter that you did that sin a hundred times. When you're sincere, when you mean it, when you turn back to him, there's no limits on this. Everyone with me? Okay, cool. So Jonah, what happens to Jonah is God, God delivers a message to him. He says, Jonah, get up, go to Nineveh. Go, go preach to these people. And Jonah goes, no, not doing it. Not, not going. That's going to be a no for me, dog. I'm not going. And, he, he, and, and the reason is Jonah hates the Ninevites because they're, they're of a race of people called the Assyrians. So Jonah gets a message, go preach to the Assyrians. And he goes, nope, never been there, never met them, but I hate them. And I don't want to go, because I, I don't want them to repent. I don't want them to come to faith in God. I don't want you to bless their life. And if I go and, and, I, and I preach to them, they might repent and come to faith. And I don't want that to happen. Literally don't want that to happen. So Jonah goes the other way. He cranks up the music. He jumps in his car, cranks up the heavy metal, and just takes off down the highway, or in this case, a boat. And God arranges, you know, God allows that, as he does, right? We talked about that in week one. God allows us to have that moment for a minute. It feels great, the wind is in our hair, and we're doing our own thing, and we're living life on our terms. But there's always something waiting down the end of the road, isn't there? In this case for Jonah, a large fish. So he is swallowed, he, is, he repents, he spit back out on land, and God says, all right, let's try this one more time. Get up go to Nineveh and preach my message. And Jonah says at this point, all right, fine, 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 fine. I guess I better obey. I remember what happened to me last, he's still picking seaweed out of his hair. He's like, I guess, you know, I remember what happened to me last time, I guess I should probably obey. He goes to Nineveh and, and preaches, but he totally phones it in. He doesn't care, there's no heart. His whole message is eight words long. When Jonah goes to Nineveh, he says, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. Eight words. It's the, probably the worst sermon ever preached in human history. It's terrible. He just shows up. He doesn't care. He's trying to obey the letter of the law, but his heart is not in it. He does not care about these people. But he delivers this message, and then the whole city repents. From that like piece of garbage of a message, the whole city just falls to its knees and repents. And what does that tell us? It tells us that the preacher isn't nearly as important as we think they are. Preacher's not nearly as important as we think he or she is. The Holy Spirit is always the one who does the heavy lifting when a person's heart changes. It's always God's work. So Jonah doesn't care he delivers this terrible message. He's literally hoping the people don't repent. They, one and all, they fall to their knees and turn to God. And this displeases Jonah. Because I know, you can't even make this stuff up. It's right there in the script. He is not pleased that the people have turned to God because his heart is still not in it. This is the conclusion of chapter 3, uh, verse 10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, repentance, they changed. He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. So even though Jonah doesn't care, even though Jonah doesn't, 
doesn't, you know, uh, doesn't want these people to repent. He obeyed, and God used it. Which is where we landed the plane last week, and don't miss this. You never know when a small act of faith or obedience is going to make a huge difference in somebody else's life. You never know when a small act of obedience, a small chance to step out in faith, an act of kindness, it could, that could be as simple as a smile to somebody, being gracious as you drive, uh, uh, just, just the way you carry yourself, your attitude. You never know when God is working behind the scenes in someone's life, and all he needs from you is a two-inch putt. All you got to do is give a little tap, tap, tappy. All you got to do is just, just tap at home. Really? Nobody got the reference from the hat? <laughs> Nothing. Guys, you worry me sometimes. Okay, so all God needs from you is to tap at home. Step up and step out in faith. Just to, you never know when that small act of obedience when that small stepping out of faith, that small random act of kindness is going to make a huge difference in somebody's life. So this Jonah repents, even though his heart isn't, uh, Jonah, sorry, obeys, and even though his heart isn't in it, God still uses it and does amazing things. And here's what happens next when Jonah learns of this. This is amazing, okay? You can't even make this stuff up. Chapter 4. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say, I'm just going to insert tone of voice over this whole thing, okay? Sorry, I can't help it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people, apparently. Just kill me now. I, kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. I mean, are we, are we just a little bit melodramatic? Come on, Jonah, really? I knew it. I knew it. Stupid forgiveness. I knew. I knew if I preached, you'd forgive all these people, and I don't want you to forgive them. I can't believe you're going to forgive them. I can't believe you're going to let them into heaven. I can't believe they get to be a part of the thing. Oh, it's a caricature, is it not? It's a caricature. It's an over-exaggeration of a trait, but that spirit is alive and well in the church. Make no mistake about that. Come on. Is there a person... You hope God doesn't forgive? Are there some people you hope God doesn't forgive? Is there a people group you hope God doesn't forgive? Imagine yourself after having taken your last breath on earth, standing in line, waiting to approach the gates of heaven and looking around and going, what? He's here? She's here? They're here? Unbelievable. He's going to forgive them too? Oh yeah, that spirit is alive and well in the church. And it is dangerous. Jonah is, is almost, it's, it's, it's cartoonish the way he exaggerates. Oh, just kill me now if what I predicted isn't going to come true. But there is something really, really like off in Jonah. There's something really, really like disturbing about the way he operates. And this, this again is where we see God's mercy so vividly painted, his love so vividly painted, because what happens next is really unusual. 
Look at God's response to Jonah's complaining. Let's hang on. What should God do right now? Come on, if you were God, what would you do right now? We all know what you'd do. Okay, here we go. Look, look. The Lord replied, this is God's response to Jonah's complaint. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? God doesn't ask Jonah, God doesn't, God doesn't put Jonah on his face. God doesn't give Jonah a command. He doesn't say, it's not right for you to be angry about this. He invites what on earth? He invites Jonah into a conversation. He's trying to reason with this petulant, immature little guy. The God of heaven and earth has said, Jonah, come on, let's talk about this, buddy. Is it like, like you ever try to reason with a toddler having a tantrum? Come on, come on, Jonah, let's, let's talk about it. Is it right? He asks him, is it right for you to be angry? I want you to think for a minute, buddy. Come on, let's talk. That is so not the way I would have handled it. Come on, if you were God, wouldn't, come on. If, if, you, if I was writing the story, here's the story. Tell me if you like the end of this story. And then the whole city repented. So all of the wicked people of Nineveh went to heaven and received God's mercy, but the complaining, whiny prophet was hit by lightning and died. Poof, that's it. Wisp of smoke, no more Jonah. Done. That's, that's, that's a good ending. That'll preach. I could preach that all day. It's not what God does. Why? Because God's love and forgiveness is for everybody. Even whiny, complainy, entitled Christians who are more obsessed with their own comfort than they are with the well-being and the eternal destiny of those around them. Come on, Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry about this? Is it really, are you really, you know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't put him on his back. He doesn't set him straight. He doesn't, he doesn't come up over the top of them the way I really feel like God should have in that moment. No. He, he invites this guy into a conversation and it's just, oh, the Lord's patience with us, team. The Lord's patience with all of us. It's, it's just amazing. Oh, Jonah's not done. He doesn't engage the Lord in the conversation. He changes the subject. And then chapter 5 comes, and here's what we find from Jonah. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah goes up on the top of a hill overlooking Nineveh, because he's still kind of hoping God's going to destroy it, and he wants a good seat for the fireworks. That's what he's doing. He wants to know what will happen to the city. He, the Lord gave him a message, 40 days from now Nineveh will be destroyed. He delivered the message, and he's pretty sure God's going to do God hasn't changed his mind. God still hates those people, and he's now, he's, he's got himself, like got a little box of popcorn. He's like ready to watch the fireworks. Jonah doesn't get it, and Jonah doesn't want to get it. He doesn't understand, and he doesn't want to understand. We may not understand, but I'm hoping we all want to understand. We may not get it, but I'm hoping we all want to get it. 
We may not have it all right, but I'm hoping as the Lord engages us in conversation, when God engages you in conversation, what's it like? What is God asking of you now? Is it right for you to be angry about this thing that you're so angry about? Is it right for you not to forgive that person? Is it right for you to keep doing what you've... What is God asking you about now? Jonah's primarily concern, his primary concern isn't the people of Nineveh. It's his own comfort. And here's what happens next. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Oh, good. He got a place to sit in the shade. Now he's comfortable. And so all is well in Jonah world. He's comfortable. Now we're good because he's comfortable. He got a spot in the shade. Shade is not easily found in this part of the world at this time. And, you know, this is like basically having air conditioning. So he's shaded. He's, he's, like, he's like, oh, this is this. And now, Jonah, everything's great. Why? Because he's comfortable. His comfort has become paramount. Comfort has become paramount to Jonah. Does that sound a little bit like our society right now? Yeah, his comfort is what's most important. Doesn't care about the people. He's just, oh, oh God, I'm so thankful. This is so great. Thank you for the way you've blessed me and blessed me and blessed me. I'm just comfortable now. But we're not done. But the Lord also arranged, verse 7, for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, again, is it right? Come on, Jonah, dude, really? Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted even angry enough to die. It's like, oh my word. What is going on with this guy? Well, now his comfort has become paramount, and that's where we find ourselves. Jonah doesn't care about the well-being of all these people. He's just demonstrating to us over and over. It's about being comfortable. I have to be comfortable. I was comfortable when there was shade. Now I'm uncomfortable, and this, this presents a problem. My discomfort now presents a problem. I'm not so worried about the eternal salvation, the, the eternal destiny of all these this 120 or so thousand people that live in Nineveh. No, no. I'm just worried because it's hot. His comfort has become paramount, and it is true in our culture. This is alive and well in the world today. And you can tell by the, by the prodigious use of the word uncomfortable that we find in our world today. Un discomfort, and the word uncomfortable is like everyone. Well, I don't know, that just, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't think I'm comfortable with that. He makes me uncomfortable. She makes me uncomfortable. Things make me uncomfortable. I'm not comfortable with what you're saying. I'm not comfortable with what you're doing. Right now, this sermon is making me uncomfortable. I think I have to leave the church. I don't know. Yeah, 
You'll leave the church if a sermon makes you uncomfortable. I've seen that over and over again. And then you'll go to your friends, and your friends will say, oh, well, if it made you uncomfortable, then yeah, you should go, definitely. We don't want anything to make us uncomfortable. Oh, heaven forbid we should be made uncomfortable by something. Could I preach for a minute? God's not primarily concerned with your comfort. Your comfort is not God's primary concern. It just isn't. So we got to wake up to that. If we walk the earth entitled enough to think, oh, my comfort is what God's after, my comfort is what's, what, what, what God is supposed to be doing, and the lack of comfort on my part now presents a problem for God, we got it backwards. We got it backwards. No, in point of fact, we're usually called to be uncomfortable. We follow Jesus Christ who led us on a path to crucifixion. It's the death of ourself. Now look, that doesn't mean, okay, let me, that doesn't mean we're going to kill the air conditioning and sweat from now on in church because we weren't called to be comfortable. Doesn't mean you shouldn't turn up the AC in the summer. Doesn't mean you shouldn't use heat in the winter. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have a nice couch to sit on and a nice bed to sleep in. Doesn't mean you shouldn't watch Netflix once in a while and be comfortable. What it means is when you enjoy that comfort, understand it is not your birthright. These are blessings designed specifically to propel you into thankfulness to God, designed specifically to propel you into gratitude to the, to the giver of all good things. But we've gotten so twisted with comfort that the minute we become uncomfortable, it's like, oh, whoa, 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 Houston, we have a problem. I'm uncomfortable. I'm just uncomfortable with that. Maybe God called you to be uncomfortable. Maybe there's something in your discomfort that could teach you something about you. Maybe your discomfort is your problem. Maybe that's something you need to study about yourself or that God might want to talk to you about. Why does that make you uncomfortable? Why does that tick you off so much? Is it right for you to be so angry about this thing or so uncomfortable about this thing or so ticked? God has called you and me into a great adventure. He's called us. I mean, when you pick up the part that God gave you to play, you become a secret agent in the universe. You start operating according to God's principles and God's plans. You bless people wherever you go. You won't even realize you're doing it. God will use you to bless the world around you. It's, it's the most amazing, satisfied, filled up life you could ever imagine for yourself. It will involve, I promise you, it will involve some discomfort. It just does, but it is so worth it. So you could spend your life pursuing your comfort. You could spend your life pursuing what makes you comfortable and avoiding what makes you uncomfortable and have, and, and have everything cushy and everything perfect and still be completely empty spiritually and dead inside. And I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. You don't want that to be you. You want a little bit of discomfort in your life because it means that God's pushing you. It means he's nudging you. This means you're alive and well. A life of comfort and ease was not promised to you. A life of comfort and ease is a blessing designed to propel you into thankfulness to God Almighty. Concluding, then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Come on. Come on, Jonah. You care about the plant. You care about the shade. There's 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. How many people around you are living in spiritual darkness? 
How deeply does that trouble you? How deeply do you care about that? How much is your comfort more of a priority than that? You know what, you know what bugs me about the book of Jonah? It ends here, and we never find out if Jonah gets his head right. We just don't know. We don't know. It could be that Jonah goes, wow, you're right. I, 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 gotta, I gotta snap out of it. I gotta, you know, like, I, you know, like, like, like I, gotta give, I gotta repent. I gotta come back to faith and change my heart and change my ways. And maybe he did and he served the Lord faithfully for the rest of his days. Or maybe he kept complaining and spent the rest of his life as a petulant, immature prophet who never ever got it and whose heart was hard and who just obeyed God because he was scared of retribution. We don't know. We just don't know how Jonah's story shook out. I'm hoping I'm hoping he got it. I'm hoping God's great patience with him, God's, God's tendency to just invite him into conversation rather than beat him over the head with the truth, God's tendency, this, this thing he does with this relentless love to keep talking to him like a beloved son, even when he doesn't deserve it. I'm hoping that wore Jonah down enough that Jonah repented and turned to God because if he did, it means maybe there's hope for me Maybe there's hope for you, for all of us who are so petulant and entitled and obsessed with our own comfort and not nearly as concerned as we ought to be with the spiritual condition of the world around us, not nearly as cognizant as we ought to be of the mission we're on to bless the world around us, to honor God with our lives, to love the world around us, and to serve the world around us. Church, when we get that right, everything changes. May that be so in my life. May that be so in all of our lives. That is the conclusion of the book of Jonah. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather and, and listen. And God, we are grateful, one and all, for your patience with us, which we need so badly and which we put to the test so often. Father, we're just so glad that you're patient with us. Because we're, we confess together, we are petulant, we are entitled, we get whiny. There's things we like and don't like, and we're, we're kind of unusually preoccupied with our own comfort when we ought to be preoccupied with your will and your word and your work. So we pray for change. Quicken our hearts to repentance. Quicken our hearts to change, Father, to alter course to live our lives for your glory and to walk the earth reflecting your love and acceptance, reflecting that your love and mercy is for everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word TRUENORTH to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.